Good morning, Boker Tov, and welcome back to our weekly Parsha Perspectives for today, where we analyze and investigate the themes, and the messages, and the lessons of the Parsha in a way that can inspire and inform our daily life today. I want to thank our generous sponsors, dear friends Becky and Avi Katz, who sponsored for the year in memory of Becky's father, David Grossman, Lili Nishmas, David Menachem Manish, whose neshama should have a aliyah. Parshas Bamidbar begins the fourth book of the Torah, named aptly by the same name, Bamidbar, page 726, if you're following in the art scroll, Stuchumish, at home. By Daber Hashem Moshe Bamidbar Sinai, Ba'omoed, Be'echad HaChodesh HaShani, and so on and so forth. Hashem spoke to Moshe, and here the Torah feels a need, all of a sudden, to give us the topography, to tell us the climate, to tell us the geography of where the section of the Torah was given. Not just that Hashem communicated or transmitted these lessons, these values and ideals, but that He did so bimidbar sinai. That He did so specifically in the midbar. He did so in that environment. We'll come back to in a moment why the Torah felt a need to give us that particular detail. But He begins, this fourth book begins with a practice that generally we've seen the Torah frown upon. Take a census. Count the Jewish people in order to know how many there are according to their families, according to their father's household, by the numbers of their names, every male member, according to their count. Now the Torah earlier in Sefer Shmos, in Perak Lamed, Pasuk Yudbeis, Shmos Lamed, Yudbeis, if you have the Art Scroll Stone Chumash, it's on page 484. There the Torah tells us, we have an earlier example of a census which is taken, where Kodesh Baruch Hu counted the Jewish people and counted them through the means of their donation of a half shekel, counted the half shekel. And there Rashi tells us that the reason to count through the half shekel is so there won't be a plague. And why would I have thought that there would be a plague if the census was taken directly, if the count was taken directly? Rashi tells us, Because a count in in Judaism, in Jewish tradition, when you count something, you welcome you make it vulnerable to negative energy, to criticism, to judgment, to jealousy, to envy. You invoke and you invite people to look critically upon it, and to invoke a, a sense of, of uh, judgment of it. And therefore, we are against the notion of, of counting. We know, please God, please God, soon we'll be together again having a minion, and we will be counting that minion more uh, closely than ever before, because whatever the minion's beginning, outdoors, we're going to be doing so, uh, very carefully with a maximum number of people. So we're going to count. Are we at the 15 or the 20 or however we can be distancing and maintaining the guidelines, safety and security? Are we at the 15 or the 20? Or are we at the minimum of 10? We have even tradition of psukim with 10 words so we can arrive at that number 10 without explicitly pointing and giving a number. It brings an ayin hara and it demeans and dehumanizes and demoralizes to give something a number. In fact, the Gemara and Yuma tells us and Dav Chavbez, there's an Issa Daraisa. There's a potentially biblical prohibition in counting, in counting uh, human beings and counting Jews, in giving them a number and denying them a name. Rashi tells us there in Shemos that Hashem ends up counting the Jewish people no less than 10 times. So we have this duality or dichotomy where on the one hand, we are against counting. 
Counting de- demeans, dehumanizes. We take away the individuality, the name, the just a piece of data. Counting uh, shows how many, and therefore invites and invokes the ayin hara. People look critically, people look with judgment. And on the other hand, we have this precedent, and here it's repeated to begin the very fourth book of the Torah, where Hashem is counting. For Him it's okay to count. For Him it's okay to be able to see how many we are. So Rashi tells us, the opening Rashi on the fourth book of the Torah, the fun of Mona Osan Why does Hashem keep counting us? Like the person who Lahavdil counts their baseball cards. Like the person who keeps going to the stock market or their bank account. Yesterday they were happy. I don't know, it opened six minutes ago. I have no idea what it's doing today. If you were counting yesterday, you were happy. The single did single highest uh, a rise in the in the stock market in a long time. If you're uh, looking the last few months, you're unhappy. But chibasan, what you count, what you review, what you take inventory of, reflects what you love, what is dear to you, what you have affection for. Some people count their children and grandchildren. Some people count, as I said, their baseball cards, their real estate holdings, their portfolio. Kodesh who counts us, Klaisel, the Jewish people. And when we left Mitzrayim, he counted us. When we fell, we made the mistake of the golden calf. He counted to see how many were left. When we and we wanted to rest his divine countenance upon us, he counted us. And the Torah here gives us the background of that counting of why. So when is counting negative? When is counting bad? When is counting something we criticize and we refrain from? And when is counting something which is good? Revolb has a very, uh, we'll get to Revolb in a moment. The Rabbeinu Bachaya says, notice the language. To count, for example, we find ourselves right now in a period of counting. We find ourselves counting up towards Standing at Har Sinai, Bimidbar Sinai, we're going back to Sinai, the Jewish people, once a year, really every day, but very poignantly and very pointedly, on Shavuos every year, we go back to Sinai. And we count 49 straight days, Sviras HaOmer. And the word for Al Sviras HaOmer, the mitzvah that we count is called Svira. Lispor is to count. And yet, whether it's back in Parshas Kisisa, or here at the beginning of Bamidbar, what is the language which is used to describe? Rabbeinu Bachya says, note, it doesn't say, go count, lispor, or monet to count. What does it say? Su, or we have the Lushan of, of lifkod, pakad to count. What do pakad and su have in common that are different from lispor or limnos? The word su, in fact, doesn't mean to count. What does the word su mean? It means to lift. It means to elevate. You see, you can count in a way where you degrade. When you make people come to a lineup, right? The Nazis, Yamach Shemam V'Zichram, who began every day by dehumanizing and, and, by de- and, and by humiliating the Jewish people, by coming to a lineup where there were numbers on their arms and where a person was denied the very dignity and the individuality of having a name. They were simply a number. A number can dehumanize and demean when it's used to lump everyone together, to see everyone as, as blurred as one. But a Baruch who counts not to dehumanize or demean, not to erase individuality, Kodesh Baruch Hu instructs to count for the exact opposite reason. We count as a way, as a means of elevating. That is the very purpose of, of the count. So su'u means to lift. Su'u means to elevate. A person becomes elevated, how? 
by passing before Moshe and Aaron and by being counted by none other than Hashem. To realize that they count and to realize that their lives count. This is evident from the Ramban. The Ramban in his commentary here at the beginning of our Pasha, the Ramban describes this. And the Ramban writes, Ramban writes, sorry, one second. Oh, Tifkodosam, Inyan Pekida, Zikron Vashkoch al Dover, Kaloshan Vashem Pakada Sarah. We read on Rosh Hashanah and we invoke the notion that Hashem remembered Sarah. He counted Sarah. He had made a promise to Sarah there would be a continuity from her. And she was so desperate for a child. And when Hashem remembered and was ready to fulfill that promise, it's Vashem Pakad as Sarah. Hashem fulfilled that promise to Sarah. Hold on. Sorry. Hashem fulfilled that promise to Sarah. Kaloshim Hashem Pakada Sarah. Vuhu Pisrono Bukhomakum Lo Yamalit Man Ishadati. Vigan Pikadum de Sheshmirosavashkahasa Allah. This is a count that doesn't say I'm not interested in you and I erase your individuality and I lump you together. It does the exact opposite. The Kashatsiva Limnosis Israel Yomar Tifkadu Osam Lirmosha Lo Yisapraim. Don't count them, Raksha Yitnu Kofrenav Shamach Sashekel. Ubahem Yashkiach Vieda Mispara Am. To use through the means of a gift. You know how you make yourself count? By being, you know, you make yourself counted by making yourself count, contribute, give, participate. The Amar B'David Mispar Mifkara Am Ki Adam Mispar Mepikidas Hakofer, and so on and so forth. So the Ramban tells us, you know what the process was? The Jewish people would walk before Moshe and Aaron, and they were taking this count. They were responsibility for this. They're responsible for the census. And this, my friends, is really the theme of our parsha of the opening of the book of Bamidbar. In many ways, it's the theme that perhaps inspired Chazal to say that we read Bamidbar before Shavuos. For those who haven't been checking the calendar, next week is Shavuos. And we always read Bamidbar before Shavuos. And it's perhaps the reason we read Bamidbar is because the theme that permeates throughout Bamidbar, whether it's the census at the beginning, whether it is the logo and emblems that describe the design of the encampments, the assignments, whether it is the, uh, we'll see, the relationship Moshe has with Aaron's children. These are all the areas of our Pasha we're going to take a closer look at today. But the common theme of all of them is the notion of our purpose, our meaning, our mission, that we count, that we're consequential, that we matter, that we are worthy, that we're individuals, and that we're here for a reason. And that's how the Pasha begins. Don't just count them. You're not filling out a little oval and submitting your census form. You don't go online and just give the data. But rather, the goal and the purpose of counting is to ensure that people can feel counted, to know that they matter, to know that Hashem doesn't just see everyone as one big number lumped together, but each of us as individuals, we matter. We have a name and we have a number. We have both. The counting of B'nai Yisrael is a manifestation of Hashem's hashkacha pratis, His love for every Jew, His chiba, His affection that He has for us. The Torah instructs Moshe and Aaron to be present during the counting. You see, it's terribly inefficient. They're counting an enormous number of people. And it's a terribly inefficient way of, of counting. It would have been much more efficient to simply walk around the different segments of where the camps were and to count in that manner. This is a very inefficient way of doing it. And yet, and yet Moshe and Aaron are instructed to be present. And why are they instructed to be present? Sorry for the technology problems we're having this morning. 
Hold on one second. I think we're back. We're back. Everybody sees. We're good. So why were Moshe and Aaron instructed to be present even though it's terribly inefficient in that way? Because a person felt you're passing before the Gedola Yisrael. You're coming before Moshe and Aaron, the greatest of the generation. They're going to pause and stop. And they're going to say, Shalom Aleichem. How are you? What's going on in your life? What's your name? And here's your number. Here's your role. And here's your place. And here's your mission. And we see you. And we know you. And you matter. And you make a difference. And that experience of being counted in that way is su'u as rosh. It has the effect, ultimately, of lifting. Of su'u es rosh. It ends up lifting everybody up. And that is the goal. And that's what the Ramban says, they pass before. The Gra says, the Gra writes, Revolba quotes the Gra. And the Gra writes that in the era of prophecy, a person, uh, there was no need for anyone to try to determine what their purpose was. In the era of prophecy, everybody knew what their purpose was. The prophet was able to instruct them. I need a technology manager to manage all this while I'm trying to concentrate on the teaching. Okay, I think we've muted everybody. I think we're back. And we got knocked off on Facebook. Let's see if we can go back on there for one second. Thank you for all your patience and kindness. One second. Yeah. So the Gros says, A person who came before Moshe, the greatest of all prophets, through that encounter, Moshe was their mirror, saw into the deepest recesses of their souls, and there was really a deep feeling of why they were here and what they were meant to do, and they walked away having encountered a true prophet and getting a glimpse into their own soul. And afterwards, Aaron, the leader of his Sheva, would bless people individually, give them that bracha, and give them a bracha, just like Yaakov blessed his sons and the Shvatim, and the bracha was appears to us to be a criticism, but it's not a criticism, is really, again, a mirror, a window into telling them who they're meant to be and how they're meant to achieve it. And today, every one of us needs to look into the mirror for ourselves, men and women alike, and figure out, adults and children, who we are and who we're meant to be and what difference we're meant to make in this world. That is the essence, and that is the theme of our Pasha. The census proper, women weren't included. And by the way, those under 20 weren't included either. It was no more discriminating against an 18-year-old male than it was a woman. The purpose of the census was they're going in the desert, they're going to enter the land of Israel, and they need to be prepared to know their military, how many they have for the purpose of their military. But Revol writes in Ale Shur Chelik Aleph, it's on page Kuf Samaches, Kol Adam Chayev Ladash Yesh Lo A person has to know they matter. They make a difference. They're not invisible. Lo Chashivas Medumashu Machshiva Atzmo Ba'atzmo. It's not an arrogant way of mattering that I'm all that, I'm the center of the universe, the world revolves around me, I matter more than others. It's not an I matter in a way that breeds an arrogance. It means I matter because I am a child of God, I'm a prince, I'm a princess. If I'm here, it's because I have a purpose. I have something to contribute and to accomplish and to give to this world. The Gemara says in Sanhedrin, a person has to every day say this whole world, it's technology, it's magnificence, the natural order, it's all here for me. It's all here to serve me, I'm here to serve it. And Rashi says, Klomar, 
The thing, realizing I matter, I make a difference, I have a mission, I have a purpose, should not make us swell with pride or arrogance, but the opposite, should humble us to realize it's beneath me to waste time, it's beneath me to indulge in that which is negative or bad or sabotages me, it's beneath me to undersell myself or underachieve. We have to overachieve and realize why we're here. Ka'ola malay. Each of us is a world unto ourselves. Zoe chashivas. Blitodas chashivas eina voda betorah. Who are you to even learn Torah, teach Torah, share Torah? Who are you to do chesed? Who are you to engage the holiness and sanctity of Hashem and His mitzvahs unless you realize that you are royalty, that you're worthy? And that's what it means, su'u rosh, to be lifted and to be counted. The purpose of the book of Bamidbar, as the Jewish people are in their adolescence, traveling through the desert in this way, we are encountering the notion of making a difference, of mattering. You know, there's among young people in particular, among teenagers, there's an enormous growth of, of mental health challenges and mental health issues. And so much of it is from the, the proliferation of social media. Again, all of this was before this, this pandemic and how it impacts everything we don't yet know. But um, when a person sees everything else going on, and it seems like everyone else is so much bigger and better and experiencing so much more of life and has accomplished and has more friends and followers and has more status than I do. When a person feels invisible and consequential, they feel depressed, they feel bad about themselves. The message to them, the message to us is Su'us Rosh, is to take a census in our homes, in our lives of others, to take count others and to be counted by them, not as a number which is degrading, not as a number which is dehumanizing, but as a name and a number, that combination that lifts, that gives a person a sense of mission, of su'u, to elevate, to lift, to realize we matter. And that's part of the reason, I think, why we read Parshas Bamidbar before the holiday of Shavuos, because before we can receive the Torah, we have to realize each of us are worthy. We have to realize each of us have a mission and a mandate. Each of us have a person, a purpose and a chilek. Give me my chilek and Torah. Each of us have access to Torah. Each of us have novel ideas to introduce interpretations for Torah. Each of us have a contribution to make to the Torah community and to the world of Torah. And that's what it means, and that's why perhaps we read it before Shavuos. You see a continuation of this very theme, of this very essence of this idea, in Parag Beis. We're going to come back to what is in between, but I want to continue this theme that I'm trying to describe, I believe, is really uh, throughout our Parsha. If you go to Parag Beis, Pasuk Aleph, the very beginning of the next chapter. Kodesh now assigns the camping assignments. We didn't just, it's not like Southwest Airlines. You remember airlines when you used to be able to travel on a plane? It's not like Southwest Airlines where you scramble for your, your order in the line and then it's open seating and you get on the plane. I hate traveling Southwest. I need to know where I'm sitting. I need to know do I have a window or an aisle, what my legroom will be like. Will I have enough overhead? When will I board? I'm like, the I, Southwest doesn't work for me. But Southwest, first come, first serve. You get your order in the line, and then whatever you get on the plane, you take the seat that you want. So the Midbar was not like Southwest. The Midbar was like JetBlue. You had your exact assignment. Northwest, Southeast, the Levium surrounding the Mishkan on the inner circle, and then on the outer circle, North, South, West, and East, the 12 tribes divided into four, uh, three tribes on each side, North, South, West, and East. Ish al-Diglo, and where did you go? Under your encampment. Each person under their banner, Be'osos under their sign, the graphic designers in the Midbar were working overtime. All 12 tribes had an emblem, had an insignia, had a logo. They flew their flag, and they would encamp each one underneath specifically their flag. 
Mineget Saviv, opposite and around Oamoed Yachanu, the uh, the tent of the meeting, the sanctuary, the holiness, the Mishkan. And then the Torah goes on and gives us these exact formations. And I might add, the Torah takes up precious real estate. It spends significant time telling us exactly where. Why is that important? That's part of history. How does that inform or inspire us exactly? Why do we really care the seating assignments or the logos or insignias in the Midbar? And the answer is, it is extremely significant for us. It's very, very important for us. Rabbi Salavechik writes about this. Rabbi Salavechik writes, Isha Machaneo Isha Diglo. The Torah spends a great deal of time discussing the demarcation of the various camps and where precisely each tribe should encamp relative to the others. Just as the Ribbon Shalom has established specific varieties of plants in the botanical realm, which must remain separate and not be grafted together, so too each person has his own talents and role in society. In order for society to function harmoniously, each individual must play his specific role. Some people delude themselves into thinking their abilities are endless while others are so self-effacing they believe they can accomplish nothing. God wanted every Jew to realize where his strengths and weaknesses lie. Each man by his own camp, each man by his division, Isha Machaneu v'ish al This is a continuation of that theme that we began with at the beginning of the parsha. The notion of suus rosh, lift our heads to know that we're counted. How do you know you count? Because you don't sit randomly. You have a place. You know, there's a, there's a notion in Judaism of being makir es mekomo, to know our place, to stay in our lane. Who am I? Who am I meant to be? What does the best version of myself look like? What difference am I meant to make in the world? What am I good at? What is my worthiness? How can I be consequential? This is not something which is just motivational talk and gibberish. This is Judaism at its core. It's a foundation of what helps get us out of bed in the morning. It's what all of Torah and mitzvahs are meant to promote, that we matter, that we make a difference. The bracha you make on that apple matters. Whether you davened and how slowly davened this morning, it matters. The chesed you do influences and impacts the cosmos. It all matters. The difference that we make, the actions that we take, speech, thought, and action. And therefore, each one of us is unique. Each one of us has a unique mission and a unique difference to make. And the degalim, the insignias, the logos, the camping assignments reminded us of that. Just, the Rabbi Soloveitchik said, just like when it comes to vegetation in the plant world, there's an iser. You're not allowed to have kilayim, you're not allowed to mix them together, you can't create a hybrid. Kodesh Baruch created species the way he meant them to be created. And to try to compete with God as creator and mingle the species is to deny and deprive this unique role of each of those species. It's true in the world of vegetation, kilayim. It's true in the world of material, shatnez. It's true in kilay hakerem, in the world of the, of the vine. And it's also true, it's also true with people. We each have a purpose, we each have a mission, it's why we're here. Lubavitcher Rebbe Zatzal had a beautiful sicha. And he described, it's also true with time. You know, when it came to the Shkolem, we're talking about the Machtza Shekel, the census was taken through the gift of the Machtza Shekel. And Rosh Chodesh Adar, they would announce, be careful to check the Shatnez, the Kilayim in your field. Oh, and everybody give the Machtza Shekel. And Lubavitcher Rebbe in the Sicha wonders, what is the connection between checking the Kilayim in your field and the donation, the giving of the Machtza Shekel? And he says the common theme of both is not to mix things that belong separate together. Just like in the field, your vegetation needs to be separate, don't let them mingle and mix. So too, the giving of one year has to be counted for separately than the giving of another year. Because who we are and who we're meant to be, 2019 and 2020 are different. 
Tavshin Pei is different than Tavshin Pei Aleph. Every year is different. What we're meant to accomplish, who we're meant to be, the accounting and the difference we're meant to make with our income. We're not allowed to create Kilayim in space. We can't create Kilayim with material, with, uh, with, uh, with Chomer, and we can't create Kilayim with Zman in time. And that's what these encampments were meant to teach. So the, again, the theme that permeates throughout our Parsha, whether it's the notion of our being elevated and lifted by being counted, whether it's the notion of how we encamp and where we encamp, to know that we each are unique and we're under our specific insignia, it's all about our uniqueness and not, not giving up and not feeling we're inconsequential, and not thinking we're invisible. We don't matter. We don't make a difference. I don't have so many followers or friends or celebrity status or spotlight. What difference does it make? Why am I even here? Which can lead to a sense of depression. I've been sharing with you beautiful insights, and I want to share a couple more this morning from the beautiful Svarim Ish Tamid, written by Rabbi Yisrael Meir Druk Shlita, great Rosh Hashiva in Yerushalayim, who writes the following. It says on this Pasuk we just read about the insignia, the logos, the Degolim, Heviani, the Medrash, I'm reading to you from the Medrash, Rabbah, Parsha, Beisim, and Gimel, Bamidbar Rabbah. The Medrash says, Heviani, Abes, Ayayim, B'Shosh, Nigla, Kodesh, Baruch, Al, Harsinai, Yardu, Imachav, Beis, Rivavosh, Amalachim. The one, Kodesh, Baruch, gave these camp assignments, when Hashem gave the unique logo to each of the tribes, there were um, a myriad of angels that descended down here, Vayikulam, Asuyim, Degolam, Degolam. All the angels came down, and each angel had its own logo. So when Klaisro and the Jewish people, when the human beings saw the angels each had a logo, the angels each came down with their own sign, they were jealous. And they said, we too want logos. Jewish people craved their own sign, their own logo. Hashem said at the giving of the Torah, which is likened to the sweetness of wine, I'll give you your logo. And that's why Bimibar Sinai, after leaving Har Sinai in the Midbar, Hashem says, Here's how you're meant to encamp. Here are the logos. Asks Rav Druk, Tzorach Biur. What in the world do angels have to do with signs, logos, insignias? What does this have to do with angels? And why were the Jewish people jealous of these angels? What is the message? What is going on? Where does this come from? And he says, What is the very idea of an angel? Every angel we know has their own assignment. The three angels that visited Avram each came for their own assignment. An angel is an expression of God in this world. An angel is Hashem executing on a purpose, on a mission, something he wants to do in this world. So every angel, by definition, has a unique mission. We know that an angel doesn't come to this world in order to do two things. Each angel only comes for one reason and for one purpose. So therefore, the message, the idea of the angels, says Rav Druk, is just like an angel is an expression of God in this world, just as every angel is unique and just as every angel only comes for one mission, it doesn't compete with the other angel's mission. It doesn't overlap. It's not jealous of the other angel's mission. It knows it's why it's here. So too, Klal Yisrael. That's what God was communicating. Every angel had its own logo, its own insignia, its own emblem. Every Jew has their own logo. Every tribe has its own camp assignment, its own seat assignment, its own logo.
If you didn't need that malach, it wouldn't be created. Hashem only created it and it only exists because there's a need for Hashem to express Himself through that angel. Well, my dear friends, we are Hashem's angels. We are each His unique expression in this world. We each have a mission and a purpose. We each have a way we're meant to matter. And therefore, we each have to realize, Su'u Rosh, lift each of us. We're a name and a number. We have a mission and a purpose. We camp under a logo. We have a seat assignment of life. Don't look at your neighbor's job or spouse or children. Don't look at your neighbor's talents or skills or liabilities or challenges. Look in your own mirror and look at yourself and be like that angel. It's why we're here. He says, "Bimispar Shemos, Kozachar Google Osam." It says, "Bimispar a number. Shemos is a name." Yesh bechina shal mispar shkolech vechadu chelik maklal. On the one hand, we're a number. We're part of a bigger number because if we each see ourselves only as the individual logo, then where's the achdas? Where's the unity? Where do we come together as community and people and nation? So on the one hand, we're a misbar, we're a number. We're just one number of many. We're one number in the shul, one number in the community, one number of a nation. But on the other hand, So we are that balance between a name and a number simultaneously. We are the name, that's our individuality. And we are the number that even though we're individuals, we're soldiers in one united army, fulfilling one united mission and, and purpose. And in that way, it's likened to the angels. And Apizah, based on this, we know, says, Rav Druk, this is why we're reading Bamidbar before Shavuos. Before you could receive the Torah, you have to know that the Torah is not trying to make us all conform or blend together or become invisible. The Torah, the opposite, is trying to empower us, enrich us, and enable us to be part of one army, but to realize what is my pin, what is my badge, what is my beret, how am I a soldier, under what mission, under what unit am I fighting? And we daven v'sein chalkeinah b'sorosecha, that every one of us get our unique and individual chalak in Torah. So this is the theme of our parsha. It is the theme that begins our parsha and it permeates and carries us through the parsha, is that we matter, we make a difference, suas rosh, we elevate and we lift our head by counting and by making our lives count, by being part of a bigger number, but also recognizing our individuality and our sense of uniqueness. I'll just add also that Rav Yerucham and his Das Teira, the Heliger of Yerucham of the Mir, uh, writes the following. He says, This is in Das Torah on Parshas Bamidbar. The Torah elaborates here so much about the logo and about the flags and about the encampments. We see that we were accountable if a person tries to break into another tribe. You know, when you were in camp as a kid, you went on a raid in the middle of the night to someone else's bunk. You hoped you didn't get caught, and you came back that night. Not me, of course, but I heard about others who went on a raid in the middle of the night. So, says Rav Yeruchim, if you went on a raid in the middle of the night, and you said, you know, I'm sick of being south of the Mishkan. I'm going to go a raid. Let's go raid the, the tribes north. Or east, let's go raid the tribes on the west. It was punishable by death. It was a capital crime. It was very, very dangerous. It was very high stakes. If a Levi uh, from the tribe of Levi tried to abandon their post and their mission, their job and their contribution, they were high of Misa. Why? So he elaborates, and we're not going to read the whole thing, but Rav Yerucham talks about what he received from the altar of Kelm, the importance and the need for Seder, for order. This is Hashem said. This is the seating assignment. 
This is the order. You're meant to maintain and preserve order. And the moment you become disorder, chaos, everyone can move around and reshuffle and things are out of order, then you've undermined the mission, the ability to fulfill it. We've spoken about this several times lately, but the author of Kelm gave the metaphor of a, of a pearl necklace where, of course, the value of the pearl necklace are the pearls. The string that holds them together is negligible value. It's insignificant altogether. And yet, without that string, if the string snaps, the pearls roll everywhere. You don't have a pearl necklace. So what matters is the pearls. But without the necklace, without the string, you don't have a pearl necklace. And the same is true in our lives. What matters is family. What matters is chesed and Torah and davening and mitzvos. What matters is improving and repairing the world. Those are all the pearls of our lives. But the necklace, the string is seder, is order, is being organized. And Rav Yerucham learns in Parshas Bamidbar on the notion of the Degolim. Why such an emphasis and why is so much Torah real estate taken with where you should be and when you should be and how you should be and don't deviate from there because seder, order, is the core of it all. The Mikhtar Me'aliyot Rav Dessler also elaborates on this theme. Rav Dessler elaborates on the Digle HaMidbar. And he writes the following. He says, There are three categories of being ordered. There are people, you know, yekes. They just love everything to be organized. Everything, you know, it's a fine line between the people who like things to be organized and a shtickle OCD. But everything's got to be exact. It's got to be an exact place. It's got to be hanging exactly even. It's got to be put away exactly the way it's meant to be. So there's Seder for the purpose of Seder. There are some people who are organized and they live with order because they worship order. The second category are people who use order because order brings results. If you have order, you can accomplish more. You know where things are found. And then Gimel, Sometimes things need to be in order and organized so that they work. You know, you buy uh, something from Ikea and you're trying to put it together and you think you're smarter than the instructions, so you're just going to wing it and then all of a sudden you're left with six extra pieces and you don't know where they go and the door doesn't close or the thing isn't balanced and it doesn't function because you thought you're such a kanaka, you're going to skip reading the instructions. You, you know, you intuit it. You, you pretty much figured it out. That's just for sissies. You can do it on your own. And then you're left with extra parts and the whole thing doesn't work. Sometimes the seder, the order, is because it doesn't work. So again, Rav Dessler says there are three types of order. There's order because you're OCD. You can't live without order. You worship order. You love order. You love order for order's sake. There's order because how are you going to know where your files are? How do you know where your clothing is? How do you know where you put the books? How do you know where you put the ingredients if you didn't put them away in an organized, ordered way? And the third thing is, it can't work without order. If you're building a watch and you're going to just randomly throw all the watch parts in a bucket and shake them up, you're not going to have a watch. Things need to be in order in order for the watch to function. Three ideals of, of order. So he says, When it comes to spirituality and ruchnius, we invoke, we care about, we elevate order because of the third definition. You see, when we're divided, when we're fragmented, when we're operating independently, then we can't accomplish our means and our goal. Just like the parts of the watch that are not put together in order, you won't have a watch. So too this world of Klal Yisrael, if the individual parts of a community don't come together with a sense of order, then we can't function. A person has to know their strengths and their talents and their blessings in the community. You have to know what can you offer, what can you give, what can you contribute, how can you participate. 
and you have to be ordered in doing it. Don't compete with your friend. Don't overlap with your friend. Don't be redundant with your friend. Everybody has to know within their family what is their order. And here too, again, Rav Dessler elaborates on the idea of the Digle HaMidbar. He says that was why Hashem put us in the Midbar in that way. He, north, south, east, west, everyone had their logo, their insignia, their emblem. Why? To reinforce the notion that there needs to be order. And the order is not because we're an OCD nation. We might be that too. But the order is because for Klai Yisrael to function at maximum capacity, to make the maximum difference, to be in sync, to have synergy, collaboration, to be working in a way which we can best impact the world, we need to have order. And that order was dictated by the Almighty Himself who gave us exactly the seat assignments and exactly the flags. He organized exactly that sense of order that we were meant to have. So again, this is the theme of our Parsha. Our individuality, our uniqueness, but filling into the bigger pick people, represented by the census that was taken in front of Moshe and Aaron. Kodesh Baruch Hu doesn't count. He's not Sofer or Moneh, but rather it's U or Pokeid, Vashem Pakadis Sarah, because it comes from Chiba, it comes from love, it comes from affection. He wants us to realize that we count, that we matter, that we're consequential. And therefore, we each have our own logo and our own seat assignment, because the order in the universe, we play a role. If we're missing, the watch falls apart. And if we're not doing what we're meant to do, then the purpose, the order of the world, of the universe, falls apart as well. Okay, let's move over now to the second word in the opening passage. The fifth word, Bimidbar. By the Be'ashama Moshe, Bimidbar Sinai. We alluded to this when we began. What do I care about the topography, the geography, the climate? Why in the world do I care about where this teaching was given? Bimidbar Sinai. We haven't seen that until now. What is it specifically about the Midbar, Bimidbar Sinai? So the Katskareva says, you know why it specifically invokes Bamidbar, Bimidbar, this is in the desert? And not only is this invoked here, this is in the name of the whole fourth book of the Torah. The story of the bulk of our 40-year journey, our adolescence, our maturing, our growth as a people and a nation is all described as happening where? In the Midbar. I would have said do it in Club Med. Do it in, in, in the Four Seasons, the Ritz-Carlton. You want to give the Jewish people a beautiful benefit. 210 years we worked, we were slaves, we deserved a shtickle vacation. You put us in a desert, a barren, desolate desert, says the Kotzke Rebbe, absolutely. Why? So the Kotzke Rebbe says, because what happens when a person's in the desert? They realize that they have no resources. And if you have no resources, you have no independence. You rely utterly and entirely and exclusively on Hashem. Similarly, the Jewish people, our beginning as a nation took place where? In the Midbar. Because when we can't have independence, when we can't live on our own, when we rely on Hashem, then we will feel His presence. And therefore, Bimidbar Sinai, the teaching was given in the Midbar, where we realize a sense of emuna and bitachon. We were living with this incredible, deep and profound faith in Hashem. We felt His presence in our life all the time. And that's why specifically, it's Bimidbar in the in the Midbar. Okay, the Rebeli Melech of Lezhinsk, the Heliger Rebbe Rebeli Melech says, there's another idea. Bimidbar Sinai. Why specifically Bimidbar Sinai? We're reading this Parsha before Shavuos. What is the prerequisite to Kabbalah Satorah? Before can we receive the Torah? See if you're arrogant and egotistical. If you think you have all the answers, you think you're empowering control, you could compete with God, you could micromanage your world. If you're arrogant and you know everything, you can't receive the Torah. To truly receive the Torah, you have to make yourself a tabla rasa, you have to be a blank slate. You have to let Torah inscribe and write its messages, ideals, and values on us. Where do we learn that lesson from, says the Rebbe Rebbe Melech? Bimidbar Sinai. 
We learn it from the Midbar, a place of humility, because we're so utterly dependent. And we learn it from Sinai. Sinai was the lowest of all the mountains. We all know the story. Our children, if they were in school, not just on Zoom, but in person, would come home with all kinds of projects and know that all the mountains competed and said, give the Torah on me, give the Torah on me. And Hashem chose Sinai. Why? It was the Namuch, it was the lowest, the humble of all the mountains. And Hashem was communicating that the, one can only receive Torah when you make yourself as the lowest of all the mountains. I shared recently in another context, that's what it means, the beginning of Pirkei Avos. Moshe Kibel Torah, Mi Sinai. Moshe received the Torah from Sinai. Umisarul Yoshua, he gave it to Yoshua, to the Zakanim, and so on. What do you mean Moshe received the Torah from Sinai? What should it say? Moshe received the Torah Bisinai. He got the Torah at Har Sinai. What do you mean, Mi Sinai? No, he received the prerequisite, the lesson, the message of Torah he received from Sinai, namely, be humble, be low, be modest. And then let Torah speak to you. Don't try to impose and superimpose. Don't make Torah conform to you. You, we conform to Torah. Bimidbar Sinai, specifically in a place of humility, specifically in a place of modesty. That's what the Kotzker and the Heilige Rebbe, Rebbe Eli Melech, say. But back to Rav Druk. Rav Druk tells us another idea. And he brings us back to the Medrash. The Medrash says, Why specifically were these lessons was the Torah given in the Midbar? Our rabbis deduced that the Torah was given with three things, namely, The Torah was given with fire, it was given with water, and it was given in the desert. The whole mountain was smoking, it was on fire. So the Medrash in Bamidbar Rabba, the very beginning of the parsha of our of Sefer Bamidbar, tells us the Torah was given with three elements: fire, water, and desert. Why? What's the message? What's the illusion or the symbolism of these three elements? Why was the Torah only given in that way? And as we prepare to receive the Torah, as we are getting ready for Kabbalah Torah, we're not simply recreating, we're not simply remembering the giving of the Torah thousands of years ago, we're counting towards our actual accepting the Torah ourselves. How can we uh, invoke, what can we learn from these three things? So he quotes from Meir Shapiro, the great Lubliner, the one who introduced the Dafyomi, the Rosh Hashiva of Yeshiva's Chachmei Lublin, so the Lubliner of Meir Shapiro has a sefer called Imre Das. And in there he says the following, very beautiful idea. He says, you know what these three things have in common? Fire, water, desert. The Jewish people expressed Mesiris Nefesh, self-sacrifice. We gave, we compromised, we sacrificed in all three of these areas. And the prerequisite to receiving the Torah is the willingness to be Moser Nefesh. If you want life to come easy and to be handed to you on a silver spoon or a silver platter or whatever the expression that I just messed up is, if you want life to come easy, then Torah is not for you. Torah takes amelus. We just saw at the beginning of last week's Parsha Bechukosai. It takes work. It takes toil. It takes effort. It takes compromise. According to the work is the reward. Or, put differently, no pain, no gain. The best things in life come to those who work hard for them. And the same is true for Torah. What are we willing to put on the line? How much are we willing to fight for it? How hard are we willing to work for it? We worked in all three of these ways, said Rav Meir Shapiro. For example, When Avram made the supreme sacrifice 
of embracing ethical monotheism, of abandoning the paganism of his forefathers, he was thrown into the furnace, into the fire. He was ready to give his life. He was ready to be consumed by fire, all for the purpose of Torah. Ad kedekach, that's how far his, his, his mysterious nefesh went. And we daven, we say, he doesn't say this, but I'm suggesting, we say in our davening, Baruch Hashem, Magen Avram. I was just talking with my children about this this past Shabbos. We say, Magen Avraham, that Hashem is the shield of Avram. What happened to Yitzchak and Yaakov? Why don't we invoke Hashem as the shield of Yitzchak and Yaakov? Why only the shield of Avraham? Perhaps what it means, Magen Avram, is Hashem protects the Avram in us. You see, Avram made that supreme sacrifice and he embedded in his spiritual DNA that he bequeathed to us that same capacity, the same strength, the same tenacity, the same resolve to be able to be Moser Nefesh, the willingness to sacrifice, to give in order to advance Hashem's goals and His mission in this world. Magain Avram, when you say at the beginning of Shemun Esrei, here's a little extra bonus sitter snippet for you. Magain Avram means not just that Hashem protected Avram as if he abandoned Yitzchak and Yaakov. It means Magain the Avram in us. He has protected and he has shielded we too, just when you think you can't do it. You can't do it. It's enough of this quarantine. It's enough of these distancing. I can't take it anymore. I have to have a minion. I have to have the simcha. I have to have the, I can't take it. I'm going to ignore and neglect. There are ways to do those things. There are ways to have a simcha within guidelines. Baruch Hashem. Soon we will please God slowly, incrementally be starting minyanim again. But just when you think I can't do it, I'm just going to give it all up. You have to be willing to be Moser Nefesh. Reach deep inside yourself and find that Avram, because Hashem has been protecting it there. Magain Avraham. But that was an individual, that was Avram. Then we come to Kriyas Yamsuf, Vayis'u, the water. The water was a barrier between the Egyptians, and we were going to drown. And Nachshon ben Aminadav had the courage, the tenacity, that Avram strengthened him, and he took those steps into the Yamsuf, and it split. In Siddur Snippets Taka, we just yesterday introduced Vayosh Hashem, we're up to the Shira. We're talking about Kriyas Yamsuf and how every one of us can live through it and sing Shira each and every day as if we just come out the other side of our own Yamsuf. The water represents the Yamsuf. And there, Kla Yisrael on the whole, en masse, were Moser Nefesh. We're willing to put it all on the line. And of course, then we have the Midbar, when we went into the desert. Wild animals, dangerous animals, a dangerous environment. There was no food, there was no water. We were there for a prolonged period of time. And Hashem says, I remember you followed me to a desert. And when you walked after me in the desert, and you did it only because I, God, said, just don't worry, I have your back. Follow me, stick with me, I got you covered. And we didn't say, what do you, wait one second, what do you mean stick with you? There's nothing to drink there. There's nothing to eat there. My kids wouldn't do that. I can't tell you, almost every Sunday of my kid's life, almost every time we do something fun, here's how it works. My wife and I say, we're going to do X today. We don't do things every Sunday when we were allowed to go out. We say, we're going to do X. No, that's not fun. We don't want to go there. That's not going to be good. I never heard of it. Everybody doesn't like it. And by the end, they're raving and raging, and it was amazing, and we loved it. It was fantastic, and it was phenomenal. It was excellent. So the next Sunday, we say, remember last Sunday when you said it? We said, just, just stick with us. We tell you, it's going to be good. We're going to have fun. It's going to be great. So, lech teich midbar. Hashem said, stick with me. And we didn't say, no, we're not going. There's nothing to eat. There's nothing to drink. It's going to be hot. I'm going to be thirsty. There's no shade. It's the sun. We said, oh, we should follow you? Stick with you? Sure, we're in. No problem. Now, we did say those things, which begs the other question. Why does Hashem have a selective memory? Hashem, lech teich so romantic. Such a selectic, revisionist memory. Remember when you followed me and nobody complained and it was so amazing and romantic. 
No, that's not how it happened. So there's a lesson there too, by the way. If you want to have a good relationship, be willing to have a selective memory. You don't have to hold on to every hurt, every pain, every complaint, every fight. You don't have to have a spreadsheet of everything that your spouse did wrong in the 47 years of your marriage. And now in quarantine, you've taken out the spreadsheet. Remember in 76 when you said this thing, and I still haven't gotten over it. Kurdish Baruch had a selective memory, and it's a precedent for all of us have a selective memory. But anyway, back to Rav Meir Shapiro, back to Rav Druk. So these three things, the fire, the water, and the midbar, are three examples of a willingness to be Moser Nefesh, to compromise, to sacrifice. First the individual Avraham, and then the beginning of the people at Kriyas Yamsuf, and then the nation as a whole when we got to Harsinai. And therefore we read this before we receive the Torah, because we too have to remind ourselves to be Moser Nefesh. We're living in a time of bizarre Mesiris Nefesh. You know what the Mesiris Nefesh is right now? Your willingness not to be able to answer Kaddish and Kedusha and Davin with a minion. For all the Mesiris Nefesh in Jewish history, it ain't bad. I'm not talking about the people who've been threatened with illness or have lost loved ones. It's tragic. It's unbearably painful. That's a Mesiris Nefesh, and those are Nisyonos and tests that no one would ever welcome or want. I'm not talking about people who don't know where they're putting the food on the table today or tomorrow, where their income has been absolutely um, closed down and their savings has been spent. But for anybody else, if the Mesiris Nefesh is being asked of us is... To, uh, to not be able to answer Kaddish and Kedush and Dhamma with a minion, it's not bad. But we have that within us from Avram, from our ancestors with Kriyas Yamsuf, and from the journey through the Midbar, all of that planted and cultivated within us and our DNA, the ability to be Moser Nefesh. And that's perhaps what Rameer Shapiro says, what these three elements are referring to. Water, fire, and the desert, we have this capacity. The Ksav Sofer has a different interpretation. The Ksav Sofer says, the Medrash means something different. Water... Nitna b'mayim. Torah was given with water. What does that mean? Lamanim shod the Torah l'mayim. Chazal tells the Gemara in Tainus, "Ma mayim yoredemim makom gavol l'makom namach." Water always runs down from the highest to the lowest point. Kach the Torah menichin l'mishadaito gavol alav v'hochin l'mishadaito shveila. Torah runs down the arrogant, egotistical person who feels superior. The Torah runs down from that person to the more humble person. So the notion that Torah is given nitna b'mayim with water is that Torah is like water. It runs downhill and it finds the lowest point. It finds the person who makes himself the lowest person, not the person who is arrogant and feels superior. It's nitna b'esh. The Torah is given with fire. Kiner mitzvah Torah or. We know that a candle, a mitzvah is likened to a candle and Torah is likened to light. The purpose and mission of Torah is to illuminate the world, to light the world on fire, for us to be enthusiastic and passionate on fire. And thirdly, nitna b'midbar. Torah is given in a desert. We have a traditional nitna Torah al-ochle haman. The Torah was only given for those who eat the man. It means that people who are willing to be mistapik b'mua, people who are willing to be happy with what they have, their lot in life, and not always need more and more and more. And the Ksav Sofer says, that's what it means. These three elements are an allusion to the Torah being given in these three ways. Okay, we got to share an Imre Chaim. There wouldn't be a Parsha here without an Imre Chaim. So let's continue. Perak Aleph, now we go through the census. We began with the census, why it was given specifically in the Midbar. We just shared a few ideas. And then we go through all the names of the census. Perak Aleph, Pasuk Nun Gimel. We're on the top of page 732. In the art scroll, stone chumash. The Leviim encamped around the tabernacle. There was no wrath upon them. And the Leviim safeguard and watched the tabernacle. The Leviim were not counted among the rest of Klai Yisrael. 
their census was different. We've shared previously a beautiful insight of Chaim Shmulevitz, why the Levim were counted separately. There was a census for all the tribes except the Levim, and a separate census the Levim were counted separately. We've shared that previously. Listen to a previous Parsha Shir. But on this Pasuk, Aleph Nun Gimel, Halavim Yachanu Saviv La Mishkan Haidus. You know, the Imre Chaim, the vision of the Rebbe, the reason I love the Imre Chaim here, look at the Imre Chaim. You see his commentary? Everything is one sentence, one word. He packs a punch. He says so much into the most succinct way, the Imre Chaim. So he writes here, Halavim Yachanu Saviv La Mishkan, the Levim encamped around the Mishkan, Velo Yaketsef, and there was no wrath. If we would only encamp around the Mishkan, meaning, meaning, if the Mishkan were the center of our circle, if it drove our thoughts, our decisions, our desires, our needs, our aspirations, our satisfactions, if the Mishkan is the middle of our life, if we surround the Mishkan and we absorb the light of Torah, lo yiyeketzef, there will be no machlokas. Oz la'amo yitain, oz Torah, Hashem yivarechas amo bashalom. We say, oz la'amo yitain, Hashem gives strength. Oz means strength. What is strength? Ain oz ela Torah. Hashem give us strength means gives us Torah. When you give us Torah, then Hashem yivarechas amo bashalom. It's a beautiful program taking place this Sunday. Rabbi Ruvain Tarragon put together deserves enormous credit. A program being called Ki Shechad Balevachad, or Vayachanu, I forgot what it's called, but it is an amazing program of Gedola Yisrael across the Torah Orthodox spectrum, Rashi Yeshiva across the Orthodox spectrum, couples, my wife and I had the honor and privilege of participating across the spectrum. He put us all together. What kind of program, what kind of program can get the Rashi Yeshiva of Haredi, Hasidische, more modern, YU, Hezder, all on the same flyer, all on the same program. Can get Rabbanim, and can get female educators, and can get couples, all participating across the spectrum, the Orthodox spectrum on the same program. You know what does it? Torah. Because it's not about debating Hashkafa, it's not about debating the issues that divide us. Torah. When Torah is at the center, then we all cooperate, coordinate, synergize, we come together. And says the Helega Vision to the Imre Chaim, that's included in this Pasuk. When you, Yachanu, when your life is, I dwell around the Mishkan, when the center of my circle is the Mishkan, then you're not going to fight with others. This one wears a strimal, this one wears a kippah surga, this one wears a, covers her hair with a shaito, this one wears a mitpachat, this one doesn't cover her hair at all, this one does this, this one does that. When Torah is the center of our universe, when we encamp around Torah, when Torah informs how I'm meant to behave and how I connect with others and it unites and unifies us, then ein machlokas, then I don't fight. Hashem ozli amo yitain, Hashem yivarechas amo shalom. Give us Torah and then you give us shalom, then you give us peace. Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky has the same idea in Emes Leyankif. He says, I don't understand. We talked all about the benefit and the beauty of the logo, the emblem, the insignia, the camp, the seat assignments, but isn't that also going to breed divisiveness? It's diversity, but won't it also lead to divisiveness? Says Rav Yaakov and Emes Yaakov, no. You know why? Because true, if all you gave out were seating assignments, people would fight. I'm better, I'm on the north, I'm better, I'm in the south. Everyone knows if you're in the south, you're better. But I'm better, I'm on the west, I'm better, I'm in the east. They'd fight. It leads to divisiveness, says Rav Yaakov. You know why it didn't lead to divisiveness? Because what was at the center of the circle? What was in the middle of the whole encampment? The Mishkan. 
And as long as everybody looked up and realized that they were equidistant in a circle from the Mishkan, the Mishkan is in the middle, and the Mishkan empowers, and the Mishkan gives each of them their, their status, their credibility, and their, and their uh, mission, then there's a sense of unity. So when we have Torah, again, Rabbi Tarragon deserves great credit. It's really such a beautiful, incredible, maybe unprecedented program. Mir Tashem, it should all go off smoothly. But what can bring the full spectrum of orthodoxy of the Torah world together only when you're sharing Torah? That's how you avoid the fighting that otherwise might take might take place. Okay, we're running out of time. I wanted to get into some beautiful ideas about Ela told us Aaron. It lists the children of Aaron, of Moshe, and then it lists Aaron's children. Why did it do that? We don't have time for it, but remind me next year to speak about. Rabbi says an incredible statement. Rabbi says something astounding about this. Astounding. I'm glad you're all sitting down. Those who have the courage to have their cameras on are all sitting down. Because Rabbi says something amazing. You ready? He says, I'm not going to read you the whole comment, but I'm just going to give you an appetizer, whet your appetite. We are all acquainted with the Akedah that Avram performed, but we don't pay sufficient attention to an Akedah that was carried out by Moshe. Moshe's Akedah was perhaps more awesome and terrifying than Avram's. After Avram offered Yitzchak, the two of them returned from Mahara Moriah with great happiness. Moshe never experienced this satisfaction. In his case, the Rebbe Shalom requested and received his sacrifice. The simple, you ready to listen to this because it resonates unfortunately and tragically for right now for too many. The simple right to leave a last will and testament, to die in one's own bed surrounded by his children was denied to Moshe. Moshe died alone on a mountain. Before he died, he did not lay his hands on Gershon or Eliezer, his sons, but rather on Yehoshua ben Nun. Moshe's power was bestowed on Yehoshua, not his own progeny. And the Rav elaborates on this. We know today too many who passed away without having their family by their side, denied and deprived their family's ability to even attend their funeral or grieve them properly. Moshe paid a great sacrifice. He made an incredible akedah in, in, in not having his sons. And again, maybe we'll, we'll share more of that um, next year, but I want to share one other thought in closing. Oi, so much. So much we're not getting to. Okay, one last thought in, clo- in closing. It's a beautiful insert by Salavichik has at the end of the Parsha, just to prove to you that we can get to the end of the Parsha. Only because we're skipping, but we can get there. So uh, the Parsha, the Pasuk says that towards the end of the Parsha, it says, V'nasnu alav kisui or tachash uparsu beged klil tcheles melmala. You put a covering of tachash skin, and on top of that you spread a cloth of pure blue wool. The kalim, the, the utensils of the mishkan, were covered with these items, and only then, when they traveled, when they journeyed through the mishkan, they were first covered before they journeyed. And what were they covered with? They were covered with tachash, a certain type of skin, and with tcheles, with a color, turquoise. We're familiar with tcheles from the, from the uh, mitzvah of tzitzis. Rabbi Soloveitchik points out, why specifically these two things? Why were they covered? Why is it that the the, the shell or the covering that protects the kalim when you're on a journey through a midbar are these two things. So he says, Chazal teaches that the tcheles, which is similar to the color of the sky, doesn't fade. In fact, the way you know that you have genuine tcheles as opposed to the counterfeit version is the counterfeit version, when you put it through the laundry, it fades. But the genuine real tcheles, they never fade. They last. Not exposure to sun, not exposure to bleach, not exposure to, to the wrong color in the laundry. It doesn't make it fade. It retains its color. Number one. What about the tachash? The tachash skin was made from a certain animal that Chazal tell us only existed at the time of the Mishkan, doesn't exist now. This tachash had the array of the rainbow. It had multicolored. The skin had bright, beautiful colors. Bright, beautiful colors. And says Rabbi Salavechik, you know why these were the covers of the Kalim and the Mishkan? And they took us through the Midbar? 
there were takes us now through our history. You have to have uh, Judaism that doesn't fade. It has to be vibrant and alive. It has to persevere and be tenacious. Judaism can't fade. It can't disappear because of the sunlight. It can't disappear because it's, it's confronting an opposing force. It can't fade. And it has to be multicolored, dynamic, and vibrant and alive. Those were the two coverings then that protected in the journey through the Midbar. And they are the two coverings for us now as we journey through our Midbar, as we go through our lives, our children, our families. We have to protect the Kalim, the holiest things in our lives. We protect it with that which won't fade and with that which is dynamic and bright and colorful, energetic, enthusiastic, and alive. So wishing everyone a beautiful week, a happy, healthy, and a holy week. A happy Yom Yerushalayim, Mertashem, this Friday. If you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe to the channel. Even if you're not watching, please subscribe to the channel. I'm wishing everyone a wonderful day.